the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Well, hi, everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. And before I just blaze right past that, that's a good place to kind of stay in touch because sometimes we'll share articles and stories there that we don't talk about on the show or we'll post them there first to kind of get people's responses to see if we want to talk about it on the show. So if you want to kind of help influence or inform what we do or don't talk about, if you maybe even want to get mentioned on the show, I would highly encourage you to go to Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. You'll see our two ugly faces right there. My apologies in advance for having to look at that. I'm sure you could mask that out somehow with a <laughs> Photoshop or a Post-it note. Yeah. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk or 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. And we've mentioned this a ton of times, but Brian and I are both pastors. So sometimes, in particular, we're drawn to stories about churches or about ministries or about pastors. And uh, here's one from Christianity Today. And here's the headline. Tithing over text is now a multi-billion dollar industry. That's right. Billion with mm-hmm. a B. What's going on here, Brian, from? Yeah, it's uh, organizations like PushPay or Tithely or other things. Uh, the, the gist of this article is that they're really helping churches increase their giving, uh, but they're also making a lot of money off of it, too, because they're providing a, a, uh, a service. So PushPay, right. uh, a, a tech company that last year made $98.4 million processing mobile giving for churches. And uh, the gist of the article is... Uh, so it's everything like companies like PushPay, Tithely, Easy Tithe, Secure Give. They let members tap their way to a tithe through smartphone apps, text messages, websites, or kiosks uh, at churches, right? This is the way we live right now. Uh, I don't know. You probably are. I doubt you're writing a lot of personal checks for your uh, ComEd bill and your mortgage. And this I'm not and that. entirely sure where my checkbook is. See, that's exactly <laughs> it. And so a lot of churches, especially smaller churches, churches... Uh, they, they tend to be behind on things. And so what a lot of churches are, have still, you know, expected their people to give when the offering plate passes, give a check, give cash, whatever else. And, um, now there's this rise of these companies that are saying, Hey, we can do it a better way. We can get your people hopefully tithing the way they're doing it, the way they're paying their bills now and the way they're doing that. And it's working, right? There's been, in, they're, they're claiming at least an increased giving, uh, it says digital tithing companies boast trends and testimonies of congregations where giving went up 30%, 50%, and more than doubled after adding their options. One reason they work so well, churches avoid the summer slump since recurring transfers continue to process even when people uh, aren't in worship. And so uh, it said PushPay found users give $17 digitally for every $10 in the plate and so on and so forth. Uh, the question becomes, I think, before us that Christianity Today is trying to say is these companies are providing a great service to churches. 
Yeah. Uh, but how do we feel about a couple different issues? How do we feel about the fact of these companies really profiting a lot of money uh, off of uh, giving in churches? Uh, I don't know what you guys do at community, but at our church, we had a discussion about do we let people give on credit card because there's, you know, points and this and that. And we're having to pay a larger fee. And we're like, well, of course we do. Uh, and so we allow that. But I know some churches are like, no, because of the fee that we have to pay. Oh. I think there's all these things that churches, especially smaller churches, are probably trying to wrestle with. Some of them are uh, more principled. Like, how do I feel about a company Right. Uh, having to pay these fees. And some of them are more like, gosh, if somebody gives $100 on a credit card, my fee is higher as a church that we have to pay out. Right, right. Uh, so a lot, it's gotten, it's a lot more complicated than the, hey, please write your check and put it in the offering plate. Uh, but at the same time, churches are seeing this uptick in giving. And so it, it's it's a complicated business that's going on right now that I think Christianity Today is saying uh, churches need to wrestle with this. Well, it's interesting too, because um, I remember having this digital conversation, you know, 12, 13 years ago when I, when I first was sort of entering into a lead pastor role and there being a lot of skittishness around any, yes. any sort of digital processing. And now it's almost just normative, right? Which I'm wondering what that next hurdle will be. Like, I think I talk with a lot of pastors that are very, um, they're very opposed to the idea of like kiosks actually mm-hmm. in their physical space. But I wonder if, like, 15 years from now, it's gonna be, can you believe we ever put up a fight about kiosks? Yep, yep. Because the digital conversation, which so Lifeway did some research, and I didn't, re- I, I didn't realize it was this low. 15% now pay through their church's website, app, or text, according to a 2018 Lifeway research survey. I thought it would be way higher than way that. Is it higher? Do you know at your church? Is it? Do you have any concept I, of I that? I do. I don't. I don't off the top of my head. So it's, this year we passed 50% for the first time. 50, no kidding. 50% digital. 50% people giving online versus physically. For I the, don't the think ours time. is that high, but it's certainly close. When I, so I actually pulled up the, uh, the survey. Another piece, by the way, this is sort of an aside. So it says uh, this, this question was, is tithing a biblical principle or a, a biblical command that still applies today? 83% said yes. Mm. Um, I actually disagree. Interesting. I, I don't think the New Testament speaks of tithing. I don't either. Uh, except when Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees. Yep. He does speak about it then. But Paul talks about it being be generous, yep. be sacrificial, mm-hmm. be intentional, mm-hmm. be proportional, be joyful. Yep. Like, there really isn't this like hard line. I think 10% is a great place to start. Yeah, there's nothing unbiblical about it. There's no. nothing wrong, but there's nothing law about it. But even if you talk, if, even if you take the Old Testament track, like there are, the 10% there, you really add up everything, including like the temple taxes and all that. It's like 23%. Yeah. Like it's this 10% thing is interesting to me that we've kind of latched onto that. But e- either way, I expected it to be much higher than 15%, to mm. be honest. And he, Later in the article, it does say these are not just your little mom and pop churches. These are enterprise organizations, and folks running them are high-ranking executives. So it says next, it says, at that size, churches are forced to operate like a business in many ways, including speaking frankly about finances and operations. But that's a lesson that churches are starting to learn regardless of size, which for you in your environment to cross the 50% mark, is that – surprising to you or was that like a target that you guys were kind of going after neither it's been trending up so it it's has, not okay. surprising um but it was a big cover i remember a couple of years ago we didn't have online giving until five years ago maybe at our church and i remember even in that conversation it was there were some people who were really had pr- trouble with the fees or had trouble with just the concept of car- credit card giving. right right and i always tell people if you're the type of person who likes to write a check we've got one guy he writes a check 
and he he wants to do it on the first day of the month. He uh-huh. he writes a note in the memo line for himself, right. like as a reminder. Like that's awesome. We still pass the plate every Sunday. Yeah, um, we do buckets, but yeah. Oh, I, I yeah, you've been there. That's that. right. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it's interesting because there is something you you don't want it to be always so simple that people are giving no thought to it. But at the same right. time. It's the way our culture works, allowing it to be regular and uh, kind of making it. Uh, so, so I think churches need to talk about money, talk about these things. But I also think online giving uh, is a no-brainer for churches. Well, and and you kind of touched on this, and I wish we had more time, maybe another another segment on another day. But the idea of I just do this, and you won't even have to think about it. I was like, I don't think that's the goal either, though. No, I think no. the the formation that happens through a regular discipline of seeing everything I have as on loan to me from God in the first place, that yeah. I'm just steward well in the world. Uh, just not thinking about it is not actually growing me in Christ-likeness of generosity, of loosening my grip around my stuff. So that's another dance for me. You know, it's certainly like, you know, mine's automatically withdrawn, so I see it yep. and I get a notification. But there is something to be said about, like your friend, the guy that like physically writes a check. It is this, it's a spiritual discipline. A discipline. I, I believe that what we do with our finances is as much worship as anything. Yes. And so that discipline, that formation of saying, nope, I am writing this check. And I'm giving it to my local church, not out of obligation, but out of a cheerful heart because I believe everything I have is a gift in the first place. And I want to steward that well in the world. I think I, I would love to see churches talk about that more bluntly and yeah, more consistently rather than like, hey, we got bills to pay. You know, if I'm just a listening ear, that's like the least like, inspired maybe way. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. That's kind of on you, man. Yeah. So either way, it's a complicated discussion and one that honestly, a lot of this data is really brand new to me. And this article is up on our Facebook page. Highly encourage you to check it out. There's a lot of helpful resources kind of embedded in it. And we'd love to know what you think. Coming up next, an article I found says, finding a faith that is stronger than death or my family's rejection. That's what's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Also on Twitter at Common Good Talk. That's at Common Good Talk. Well, uh, sometimes we find our stuff from from you know long stories. Sometimes it's just from Twitter. And you found a tweet over the weekend uh, that spoke uh, particularly to this idea about cancel culture. Uh, you and I we've talked about this a bunch. That that increasingly in our culture, uh, we're digging up stuff from people's past, or if they say one thing in their present. That's kind of like, all right, they're dead to us as a culture, right? Like they're no longer, we do this with comedy. We do this just in entertainment. We do this in sports. We do this in the church where uh, someone has done something or said something and they're, they're done, they're gone. You never really hear from them again. And so with that in mind, you found a clip, uh, I believe Trevor Noah. Uh, what's the name of the show again? Daily Show. Yep. Daily Show, Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. Oh man, see? Uh, You're killing it, Brian Brown. Killing it up, man. Uh, and her, his guest name is Jamila Jamil, Jamila Jamil, and uh, she speaks with him. It's going to be a little bit of a long clip, so stay with us because we'll come talk about it when it's over. Uh, it's about two minutes long. Uh, these are their. This is their conversation on this concept of cancel culture. It, it is. It is interesting that you say feminist in progress mm-hmm. because it does feel like we're in a world now where. Everyone wants to be heard, rightfully so, mm-hmm. but then the conversations around it can become so visceral and, you know, like no one wants to listen in and around these conversations. You've been very quick to, to just take it. If someone says, hey, Jamila, you didn't include these people in your conversation or you've excluded these people in this conversation, you just go like, yes, I'm sorry, I'll include them, and then I move on. 
Does it ever get tiring to do that? Or like, like, how did you decide to take that approach? No, like I only have the freedom that I have now because other people before me fought for women of color to be given opportunities that I'm now able to benefit from. So no, I never tire of being corrected if I'm wrong. You know, I, like, I have more to learn and, I, and I'm grateful that people don't patronize me and they think that I can take the criticism. Right. And I can. And I think that the thing that we are sometimes searching for in our society is moral purity. And you're just never going to find that. All you can find is progress and not perfection. And so that's what we should all be striving towards. You know, if we, if we completely cut people down every time that they show their ignorance or they make a mistake or they have a mistake from 10 years ago, then people are going to feel like there's no value in learning or progressing whatsoever because you're punished forever for the sin that you no longer stand by. So, you know, if you haven't done irrevocable harm, I think you should be allowed the opportunity to learn and grow and do better. And so, you know, 10 years ago, I was... Seven years ago, ten years ago, I was problematic in my thinking, and there were loads of things that I didn't know and didn't understand and right. thought I was right about. And had I been cancelled at that time, I would never have gone on to become someone who now spends all of their life fighting for women's rights and the rights of people who are marginalised and who is now being able to, you know, get Instagram and Facebook to change their global policies to protect young people. That, that's a so huge thank thing. God I didn't get cancelled because right, that, I, I got thing. better. Tell, but tell us more. So just kind of a fascinating interview about uh, the need to allow people to pro- uh, to progress, to progress, and to not just get rid of people. What did you think about what she said? I, I think the part that stood out to me the most was the de-incentivizing knowledge. To mm. The idea that if we cancel someone because of a position they used to hold but now no longer do – it does sort of, I think, subtly and maybe more overtly than I realize, communicate like whether well, there's no benefit in actually continuing to grow and to learn because if anything is found out about you at all, then culture as a whole will decide that uh, you're no longer worth listening to or you no longer hold any value in the in whatever space you occupy. And I think it's different than the Shane Gillis story, right? Because some of the stuff that he had said on his podcast was just from a few months ago. Mm-hmm. So it's not like the Kevin Hart tweets where they were, you know, a decade old. Twitter rant, which was, you know, not great. The stuff that I'm not dismissing any of that, but, you know, part of his posture was like, I'm not that same guy from 10 years ago. And I actually really regret saying those things where with Gillis, it was like, yeah, I'm a comedian. I push the boundaries. That's what comedians do. And he sort of doubled down Mm -hmm. with a sort of like, if I offended anybody then I'm, you know, like, so there's definitely different kinds of cancel culture. So I'm not saying I'm not saying no one should ever be, quote unquote, canceled. I think there's certainly viable reasons for that where someone's kind of shown their true colors. You're like, yep, we don't have to give you our attention and money anymore. That's that's okay. But part of what she was talking about, though, this idea of of still valuing like we've even talked about this in terms of sermons. Right. I've gone back and listened to sermons from 15 years ago and thought, man, thank God they didn't fire me. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God my church like stuck with me through some, through me figuring some stuff out and I'm still figuring stuff out. You know, that's, that's part of what it means to be alive in the world, I think. So it's, it's different, you know, but you and I have microphones and there's stuff that's recorded and there, I mean, there's, it's different than an actress or a comedian, but there certainly is. I've been the recipient of a lot of grace when I said stuff that I don't think that I necessarily would hold to 10 yeah. years later. And so maybe that's why it's a big, it's a particular soft topic for the two of us because it's it's a little bit of the world that we live in. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I think one of her valid points was like, as you said, don't hold people always to what they said. Uh, 
let me ask you this though. She did use a caveat there. She said unless they did a revocable harm. Or yeah. Something. Right. One of the dangers and one of the things I think a lot of us wrestle with is who's the arbiters of a rec- a revocable. Is that the word? Harm. Yeah. Who gets to decide what is has gone too far from ten years ago, five years ago, a week ago? How do we as a culture, or is it just, you know what, whatever the tide of culture is, when they culture decides, culture decides. Yeah, Andrew Yang actually responded to her tweet. She tweeted this video, and he said, I think we have, as a society, become excessively punitive and vindictive concerning people's statements and expressions we disagree with or find offensive. I don't think people should be losing jobs unless it's truly beyond the pale and egregious. So the same question stands, right? So who determines? Beyond the pale and egregious. Right, because that's a pretty squishy metric. How do you actually, and I think that's probably the unanswerable question in all of this. Yep. Yep. And that's a question within the church because there's, this happens in the church, right? Famously, John Piper text uh, tweeted about uh, Rob Bell years ago, right? Farewell, Rob Bell. And that, that that has since become a bit of a a saying going forward. And it's again, now in the church, who gets to say they're in, they're out. And in culture, who gets to say they've gone too far, they're out. And, And I think this is something, like you said, it's a bit unanswerable, but at the same time is the entire key to the conversation. Because I think we all want to say people change, people prog- uh, progress, people get better unless they've done too much. And the question is always going to be what's too much. Well, and I don't know that the farewell Rob Bell was even just in good taste, to be honest. You know, I'm like, not suggesting it was. I think he was literally saying Rob Bell's outside the camp. He, well, and I, and I think it's even OK to believe that. Yep. I just think someone like Piper has the responsibility with the platform and reputation that he has to you know be mindful of. Like, would you say that at a dinner party? You know, if you were sitting around a table and someone said something like, farewell, Brian, be, be gone. <laughs> yes. Like, that would be, you know, tacky. And I think that so it's not even just a matter of like what is and isn't egregious. Some of it is, OK, even if you're right, is there a right and wrong way to be right? Mm-hmm. I think you, I think a lot of times Christ followers included, we can be right in the wrong way mm-hmm. where the conclusion might necessarily I mean, it might be factually true, but the methodology is is so toxic or so dismissive or so not Christ-like. Yeah. I, I think it's it's not just enough to be right. We have to be right in the right way. And I think when we say, well, I'm right, so it doesn't matter how I say it or how I go about it or how I talk about you or to you, I just I think that's flat. I think that's one-dimensional. It's missing the, the holistic call to be Christ-like in the world. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point to think about, to be right in the right way as opposed to just be right. And uh, I think our culture is going to, continue to get this this cancel culture is going to be an ongoing issue but i the church is going to be caught up in this uh both from a cultural standpoint but also within the church culture the church bubble so something we need to continue to wrestle with well uh you and i as we say every monday we are both pastors uh and so we like to just spend some time unpacking what we preach i did not preach this weekend but you did well, this will be a fun segment. So we are, uh, <laughs> are going to give it all to you. So, wow. Uh, that is coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com. On Twitter, at Common Good Talk. Plus, if you're a podcaster, all of that stuff is always... Also, John's been doing this thing lately 
Where if we have like in studio guests, he'll break up yep. their interview too. So if you go to 1160hope.com slash a common good, some of those specific interviews are also kind of highlighted. So if you want that specific interview, you can also listen just to that, which will have the least amount of Ian and Brian. And I can understand why that would be appealing. Uh, all right. So I mentioned it earlier. A new bill seeks to introduce Bible classes across Florida public schools as someone who's not from Florida and was homeschooled. This will be a fun one to tackle. There what you you, go. Uh, what's going on here? Let me just read the article. It's pretty short. Okay. Uh, a new bill introduced by a Florida Democrat seeks to introduce Bible classes as standard across the state schools. House Bill 341, which was put forward by evangelist and Jacksonville politician Kim Daniels, specifies that schools must offer classes covering both the Old and New Testament. The introductory text to the bill declares that each school district must offer specified courses relating to religion, Hebrew scriptures and Bible to certain students as elective courses. Hmm. While students would not be forced to attend the classes, they must all be presented with the option to enroll. In addition, the state's Department of Education would also be required to add the courses to the course code directory. Should the legislation be successful, it would take effect July 1st, 2020. Daniels is the founder of Spoken Word Ministries has had mixed uh, mixed success in her attempts to bring Christianity into the classroom. In 2017, she was instrumental in the passing of the Florida Student and School Personal Religious Liberties Act, uh, which prohibits school districts from discriminating against students, parents, and school personnel on the basis of religious viewpoints or expression. Then in 2018, Daniel spearheaded House Bill 839, which requires schools to display the motto, In God We Trust, in a prominent place on campus. However, the evangelist's previous attempt to introduce Bible classes failed to pass through the subcommittee stage earlier this year. Speaking to NBC2, students expressed mixed opinions on the legislative on the latest legislative proposal. I personally feel like a majority of students wouldn't care about the class, one said. I asked them, are they going to teach the Torah, the Quran, and all the other stuff because separation of church and state? Others felt more optimistic about the notion of elective Bible classes. Don't shut anything out that you haven't tried, said one high schooler, suggesting that the new course could open up your mind and help students develop more diverse friendships. So uh, this person seems to be, this representative seems to be, uh, this seems to be her thing to try to get the Bible into public school, into classrooms. Uh, wondering now that you get the background of it, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I so wanted to hear your thoughts. I feel like this is like a hot button issue for you. Like, I feel like this mm. is a topic that I've seen you get a little worked up about in the past. Uh, I see what you're doing to me. I no, I'm not doing. No, 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 I'm not doing anything. I'm in. I'm ready to I jump. Like I'm, I'm the ready angry to jump. Guy. Okay, jump. I'm ready to Go jump. Uh, <laughs> because these are electives, I have no problem with it. They're right. electives. I thought you were going to say that. You need to have an elective in the Quran. You need to have an elective. Yes. Uh, in the Torah. Yes. You need to have an elective in uh, across the board. Yep. Like this. My point has always been when it comes to public schools, and I speak as one who has three children in public schools. That's worth stating. Good when point. it comes to public schools, I don't send my kids to that public school to have them pushed any religion, whether it be Christianity or anything else. Right. That's my job as uh, as their parent, and that's our job as the church. Yeah. Because uh, if you're like, well, isn't it a great way to get Christianity into kids, uh, into their um, – uh, in, uh, on their radar, yes. And I would ask you, Christian person out there, hmm. how do you feel when you become the minority? And let's say we did it. We did something earlier today or yesterday about the stats about uh, non-religion being the number one thing for millennials. Being yeah, the number right. one what happens if atheism takes over as a number one, and we start having school electives on atheism? Hmm. I wouldn't be thrilled about that. Hmm. How about if you live in a community? You talked about it in your Detroit area. There are some communities there that are 
primarily Muslim. Yeah. What about those public schools teaching, uh, you know, do they get to choose what religious text they teach in there? It's just a, it's a slippery slope that I don't want to go down. Now, the Bible is a wonderful literary book that I think is great value being taught. Uh, my daughter taught, was taught comparative religions in, hmm. uh, I think, what's the equivalent of her social studies class last year. Uh, and I had to sit with her and we talked about Christianity, Buddhism, Judaism, Muslim, uh, Islam. We talked about all of them and she learned a lot yeah. in that context. Right. I think it's great. But I went to Wheaton College. You went to Judson. We took great Bible classes. We went to that school for that purpose. That's right. Right. I'm not sending my kid to public schools so that they can be uh, indoctrinated by whatever the majority person in my town feels like should happen. And that's, I get it. We're Christians and we, in most places in our country are still the majority, uh, but that doesn't make it right to be like, we are going to impose what we want in a public school. Mm -hmm. I have to say again, it's a public school. (laughs) So what we want for Christianity, we've got to be okay with all the other faiths as well. Would you guess that most of the people kind of behind this would be okay with what you're proposing to to give electives to all these world religions? Uh, I would hope so. I'm I'm a little doubtful for the person. I'm only reading an article, so I don't know right, her. Right. But when she's described primarily as an evangelist, the founder of Spoken Word Ministries, and yeah. like she's been trying many different right, roles, right, right. I would guess not. I would think most people would. I like the fact that they're electives. Once once they, once they I read this and it went down the elective route, uh-huh. I'm like, great. Right. If a kid wants to learn Old Testament and New Testament as an elective, I'd like to know how they're teaching it. Yeah. Um, but all I'm saying is there needs to be there needs to be some counterbalance here. So it's not just a Christianity that's being taught. And I'm a Christian pastor. Like I'm, I'm pro Christianity. Oh, yeah, I just same. know the slippery slope <laughs> as to where this could end. Uh, and I don't think it's fair to our uh, brothers and sisters in our towns of different faith or of no faith at all. Like right. I, I feel I feel for them in that. And so, yeah, I would I would want to uh, I would want to caution how this is done. I uh, I remember when I was at Judson studying student ministry and I bought a book on atheism just because I had a bunch of friends who were atheists. And I was like, I'd like to I'd like to take a deeper dive. I was just interested. And I had it in my dorm room and a friend came by and he goes, whose is this? I go, that's mine. I bought it last week. What are you doing with a book on atheism? I was like, hey, man, I'm studying here to be a youth pastor. I'm not becoming an atheist. I'm just curious. I have a bunch of my friends. I wanted to kind of. And he goes, you need to get rid of that book right now. Really? Like I was like, you, I'm not going to get rid of the book. You're letting something in. Kind of, yeah. And I said, I'm not going to. No, that book was $17.99. I'm not getting rid of that book. You want to uh, buy it before you burn it? You want to buy it before you burn it? And they said, well, what if I told you that that book is causing me to stumble? And I was like, all right, man. Like He said that to Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of where I, I lost him a little bit. But I'm wondering if you think, like, if you had to guess, what is the ultimate motivation behind things like this? Like, is it the, this is how we're going to win students by just have giving them as much face time as possible? I think so. so. Anywhere in broadcasting or education that we can get the name of Jesus in front of them, that's the win that we're shooting for? So yesterday, we gave the stats that with each generation, there's less and less Christians. Right. And I think this is Kim Daniels, in this case, her way of saying, um, Here's a way that maybe maybe here's a way we can stem that tide. Maybe they're not even being uh, they're not even being introduced to the Bible. And she's saying maybe if we can introduce more kids to the Bible, then, you know, they'll more kids will accept it in this and that. That's my guess. That's the heart behind it is my guess. My doubt is it's like, oh, this is a great historical book for them. My guess is there's a little bit of like 
Uh, I feel like if we can just get the Bible in front of them. Right. Uh, But I think that she's missing some of the ancillary issues with parents, Uh with people of other faith, with the government. I think there's some other things here that are that are problematic. And even just some of the nuance of what it means to just put a Bible in front of somebody teaching it. (laughs) Right. Like even us as adults, how many times have people approached you like, hey, I started in the Gospels and are they all supposed to repeat? Is that or I started in Genesis and by the time I got to the fourth book. Really confused about what was going on. Like, let's let's not pretend it's just kids. Yeah, to just plop a Bible in front of somebody and hope, like, oh, it's it's the living word of God. That that'll do something. Yep. Like, it'll just come out of there. <laughs> right. There's a lot more nuance yeah. that I think needs to be considered. All right, coming up next, a super interesting article that says uh, sex before kissing. How 15 year old girls are dealing with porn obsessed boys. That's what's coming up next here on the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. I gotta be honest that music like makes me laugh uh-huh but it also makes me feel more aggressive or something yes is yes. That what it is? <laughs> yes i think that was like the point of the music it I doesn't so. i don't know that it's accomplishing necessarily what it probably had no idea that it would ever be used in this way you know like i hope this song makes it on a Christian talk show between two pastors. That would probably blow their mind. Let's get them on the show. Being like old people trying to get, get off my lawn segment. Yeah, let's see if we can get them. Either way, so we I don't know where this even came from. I think it actually was your idea. A grinds my gears mm-hmm. segment. I don't know what the point of it necessarily is. Maybe it's just a palate cleanser for you and I. It also gives people uh, permission to, to to vent a little bit. And also, oh. also uh, besides it being somewhat humorous sometimes, I think it, you know people go, oh, yeah, no, that bothers me too. I had somebody at my church after one of the segments, I talked about uh, somebody flicking me off in traffic. And they were like, yep. Been there, man. Been there. Has that been some of the response? Like, he's yeah. human, too. Yep. No, just, oh, I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I've yet to get that with the dogs in the stroller, but I'm still waiting. Yeah, that's a real weird thing to be <laughs> as upset as you were about, to be to be honest. I feel good about it. Though. I know that you felt good about it, which also concerns me. Uh, do you want to go first? Sure. All right. So uh, I watch a lot of uh, sports with my sons. Uh, my son, particularly, will watch. Are you telling us something? How many What's sons it? do you have? I uh, know. I just said sons. That okay. was funny. Uh, my wife's like, "Hello, hello." <laughs> uh, my son uh, will watch a lot of football. We'll watch now. It's postseason baseball, so we'll watch a lot of baseball. Those games. Uh, and then my kids, you know, they're the age where they're not just watching Disney Channel anymore. They actually like watch Survivor, Amazing Ooh. Race, these things. But particularly, I want, to, I want to talk about watching sports right here, and it's this. Could Fox and CBS and NBC and TBS, like in the middle of a Sunday afternoon when you're watching football, or maybe an evening when you know kids are going to be watching the beginning of the baseball game, could we not throw things up for like the Joker oh. or like uh, or like uh, uh, male... Uh, uh, issue pills? <laughs> could we not have? Could we not? Mail. Could I've never issue, seen? I I've, never, know, I've never seen a commercial for a there, male. There was, issue a, pill. there was a word there that I didn't know whether I was allowed to say or not. Here, to I, could, with, I could see the panic in your eyes. Could, could maybe? <laughs> could maybe we not have like? Does the, hey, everyone's shooting people, and this that like? Wait, hold on. Does the male issue pill address like? 
overt aggression. <laughs> no, it does not. In, in, insecurity, <laughs> the patriarchy. That. Could could we not have the one where the, the two people who end up like holding hands in two different bathtubs like, uh, no, on the front porch for some yes. reason? Yeah, okay. Or or like you know when like it too came out or all these terrifying movies. Do we need to run them on Sunday afternoon during football? When like in the middle of the kid, day, right? Yeah. Or right. even in the evening in the beginning of a baseball game when you know kids are watching the movies. Yeah, right. Could we? I get it. It's all about money, but maybe. Maybe be a little bit more discerning about when we play these commercials, because thankfully I can hit pause on these. But there's more times my wife or I will be like, we'll be like, who's got the remote? Pause, yeah, yeah, pause. Right. And by the time you pause it, it's like over. Right. You're like, oh. Remember when we used to actually program television shows with that in mind, though? Yes. Like, here are kind of the kid safe ones. Okay, they're probably in bed by now. We'll play these ones. Yeah, there used to be like a real yes. sort of classy consideration for a. And I know, understand rhythm. like Survivor or Amaz- like those. Like okay, those are probably primarily watched by adults. But like literally NFL football at noon on a Sunday. Yeah, and I've got to be careful about what my kid might see during the commercial break. Let's not let's stop that, people. I'm not gonna lie. This might be the first one of yours that I've really agreed with. Thank you very much. I think you're spot on. You're I good. think that is a real issue. Let's go to Congress. There you go. We're gonna be 100 percent on today. I, I can feel it. What's yours? Give me one. I got two of them today, Brian. Good. I got three. PJ was, of course, of course you do. PJ, PJ was helping kind of prime the pump. Okay, speaking of pump, here's one of them. Uh, the sheer magnitude of questions I have to answer at the gas pump before I can actually start pumping. Like, they're going to start asking my blood type and my eye color. I'm with you, I, baby. Especially if you're like, all right, I'm I'm on E. I, I, I'm trying to get to this meeting. Yes. I just need to. And it makes you go through 16 yes. interrogative. There's like a pull chain light above you. And I'm like, am I being arrested? Why do you need all this information? No, I'm not a rewards member. No, I don't want a car wash. Yeah. No, I don't like Barney. Like, I, why Why do you need all this information? This and good. then as soon as you start pumping, like, the, you know, some of those fancy ones, yep. the screen will turn on yep. to give you more information. I'm like, I don't need information from you. I just need some Mentos and some gas in my tank. Leave me alone. Mentos. Just leave me alone. I'm, it just drives me crazy. Or now when you put your credit card in and it asks for your zip code. Oh, yeah. And Okay, funny joke. <laughs> Somebody, uh, a, a friend out there who will remain nameless, although they probably don't listen. Smart. Uh, one time uh, admitted to the fact that put the credit card in on the gas pump and it said zip code and they said, I don't know the zip code for where I am right now. Not realizing they're asking for your own personal zip code oh, for the credit gosh. card's sake. <laughs> Does it? Did this person say it to the gas pump? I don't know. <laughs> they admitted it later. <laughs> that, that is that is really funny. All right, my second one yeah. is this, uh, because this has now happened to me twice this week, and a lot of times I you grind my gear tends to be around food. Uh, when you go through the drive-through of say a a coffee establishment <laughs> or a fast food establishment, or like a mail issue, <laughs> nope, no, no, no. okay, okay, and they uh, they get your order wrong. But, like, it's really, like, a very simple order. So the other day, I hate coffee. I'm not a coffee person at all. I'll pray for you. Thank you. <laughs> I, You've seen, you know, you noticed probably the first week we were together, uh-huh. I'm constantly drinking iced tea. Constantly. Constantly. In fact, I have one at my feet right now. You have one of those hats. Yeah, I like might as well. All the beverages, yeah. One of my favorite places is Dunkin' Donuts, especially between two and six when it's only $1.50 or whatever. So I got the you Dunkin are Donuts. get off my lawn, guy. Aren't I you? got the Dunkin' Donuts stuck it in my. I, I suppose the answer here could have been that I could have tried it, but I don't think I need to. I put it in my cup holder, drive away. I get far enough away that I can't really. It's now really inconvenient. Uh-huh. Turn around, take a sip, iced coffee. Oh boy! And I was so mad <laughs> because I there's no way I'm drinking the iced coffee, and I'm also not driving back to Dunkin' Donuts. It also happened a fast food establishment. I'd said the only thing I care about is that I don't get mustard and onions on this. Right. 
And then I drove away. <laughs> and what do you think the only thing on the burger was? Mustard and onions. I hate that people. Is Let's there any possibility, right. though, that you accidentally said iced coffee instead of iced tea? It's not. A, I any, promise you. Any universe? No chance. No? No chance. They just filled it up wrong. I, we, my wife and I, a couple years ago, went to a restaurant, and they brought me just the completely wrong thing. And I don't, you know, I'm not, I certainly, it's a, I have a high threshold. Yep. So if it's like, oh, I said no, whatever. It was just the completely, a completely different meal. Just and I was like, it. oh, I ordered this. And <laughs> she just stared at me for a second. There's this long pause. And she goes, wait, so you don't want me to bring you the thing that you ordered? <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's why we're here. <laughs> it was just so, like, I couldn't so believe what you're saying. Ooh, so what do you want to do now? What do I want to do now? <laughs> I want you to correct this. <laughs> What's your I, last one? I couldn't. Oh, my last one. I'm running out of time. All right. So this one has some caveats. Okay. This is a caveat for... You know, people with, uh, they have some kind of social anxiety or some kind of, but like, particularly when you're at a restaurant or you're at a checkout lane or something, and the person clearly not interested in you at all, just say, hey, how are you today? And they're not even like, not even eye contact. Like, I can picture it now. The waitress walks up the table with the, you know, the thing, waiter or waitress is like, hey, what can I get you? Yeah, how are you? I'm like, hey, two humans here in real space and time. Why don't we look oh, each other in okay. the face a little okay. bit? Like, this is we don't have to be best best friends. Yeah, just a little bit of I don't know that intentionality. It kind of comes down to etiquette, I guess, for me. Oh, and everyone has bad days. Everyone has exhausted weeks. I get it. But like you, you're like I know you don't care how I'm doing. Yeah, just just just, just eye contact. Yep. I just think the the decency of like, hey. You're in my checkout line. Or you're at my table. Yeah. How are you? What's going on? My last one was going to be along those lines. Did I see? This is what we learned. Look at us. It's when you're in a meeting with somebody or having coffee or, or lunch with somebody, and they regularly check their text messages. And you and I talked about this yesterday or two days ago, when, and now it rings on your watch, and they kind of look uh, at their watch. Right. Drives me up a wall. Like, I'll just stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I'm guilty of it sometimes, but I, I will just, I'll just stop talking and like kind of watch them look at their phone. And and, until they realize that you've stopped talking, well, you're not listening to me. Like, not, <laughs> what, what are we talking about? You're not listening. So, so I think it goes along with yours. Will you stop talking and then just like mean mug them? Just no. stare at them? No, I'll want, they'll put their phone down. I'll, I'll jump back. It's not like I'm trying to oh, shame you, so them. You won't say anything. No, I'll be telling you a story. I'll send you look down. I'll just stop, and then you look back up and be like, "Yeah." And so what I was <laughs> just pick up right where we left off. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I want to. I want to note Go the next it. time that happens between the two of us. <laughs> well, that was maybe the most. Easy, freeform, grinds my gears we've done and to agreeable. date. Yeah, I feel and good. And we'd love to know if you have any. Also, we'd love to talk about them. If you come up with some that you think we might resonate with, we will. feel do. free to send them to us, and uh, we might share them on the show. Well, you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. And my mystery guest is literally fist-pumping in the air right now. <laughs> Love the intro, man. It's my- <laughs> Oh, you just had to start on that leg. We are off to such a strong start oh. on hour two of the common good. You may have noticed that's not Brian Fromm. He's somewhere. I don't know. I don't know where he is. But that other voice, though, that you're hearing is my friend Jason Pfeffer. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, one of the things I've been doing, rather than kind of just read your bio for mm, you, 
I'm going to ask you just to introduce yourself in whatever fashion you want to, by the way. So you can be as detailed or vulnerable or professional as you want to be. Great. I'm just going to read my body. <laughs> Jason is a, no, I'm, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I'm, uh, I am a pastor, a teacher. Uh, I lead a ministry, a small ministry at Willow Creek church called the practice. I like to consider myself an evangelist for spiritual formation for the spiritual disciplines. Love that. Um, I believe that my calling is to be an evangelist for this journey of following Jesus, keeping mm. company with him in our everyday lives so that we can be formed by Jesus to be like Jesus. Dang. Um, so that's, yeah, that's me. That's a killer summary. There we man. go. Okay, and before I forget, before the practice, you had a website committed to that idea, didn't you? Is that yeah. still even functional? I should have asked you this before. <laughs> no, Here's it's, a website. Yeah, it's it's there, and because of my work with the practice, it's, I can't <laughs> think of the last time I, I actually uh, contributed to my own website. Yeah, it's called beingdisciples.com. Hmm. Um, the idea is that we, we need to stop practicing discipleship mm. and start being disciples. Oh, that's good, man. Yeah. All right, so tell me about your role at the practice then. First off, and I can't assume that everyone even knows what it is, to be honest. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. And then what do you do there? Yeah, well, it's it's always funny to me to talk about the practice because I talk about it with a great deal of passion and love. Yeah. Um, and I didn't create any of it. Right, right. right. It was uh, created by a guy named Aaron Nequist. If you want to read the story of the beginning of the practice, there's a wonderful book called The Eternal Current that Aaron wrote. So good. It is so good. And it, it tells it tells the story of the practice, how it got started and why. But essentially it it, it was it started as an experiment to say how can we uh, how can we actually help people follow Jesus? Hmm. How can we how can we become the kinds of people who can put Jesus's teaching mm. into action? Right. I think we have a tendency in the church to teach what Jesus said mm-hmm. and we'll expound on it. And all of this is wonderful. Right. So I just of course. make that caveat. Like I, I believe in teaching. Yes. It's really, really important. Um, but we often spend 45 minutes teaching that Jesus said that we should love our neighbors, right. right? And we'll teach through the story of the Good Samaritan, who's my neighbor. And and then at the very end, we say, so this week, <laughs> right. go and love your neighbor right. with a complete disregard of the fact that we we can't do it mm. on our own. Right. We have to be formed into the kinds of people who can love our neighbors. Right. And so in the practice, we try to not only teach, teaching is a part of what we do, but it's a practice-based gathering, which means instead of 45 minutes of teaching, that 45-minute segment is broken up maybe 20 minutes of teaching Hmm. and about 25 minutes of practice. So we would say, yes, Jesus teaches us to love our enemies. Let's talk about that. Let's let's dig into the Hmm. parable of the Good Samaritan. Again, teaching is really, really important. But then let's say, what particular practice might help us Mm. to love our neighbors really well. Right. And we will engage in that practice together as a community. And then that always leads us to the communion table. So one of the other things I love about the practice is we are literally centered on Christ. The Mm. communion table is in the middle of the room and we are seated in the round. So we're literally centered on the table that represents Christ's presence, that reminds us of Jesus being with us That's because so the, again, the, when we talk about the practice, it's we're cultivating a sacred space. 
a space for us to connect with the presence of God that's already in our midst, and then, <clears throat> excuse me, and then learn the practices that mm. help us to connect with the presence of God in our everyday life. That's because so that's how we're formed. That's right. To be able to to be the kinds of people who can do what Jesus taught us to do. Which seems so obvious. Like I meet with pastors all the time that I think that's what they want for their community. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. Why do you think it's so difficult for us to actually get to a place where we're doing the types of things that you guys are doing? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I, I think it's, we, man, there are so many ways we could go with this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, the thing that I'm thinking about the most these days is how uh, we we have believed the idea that knowledge transforms us. Right. That if I know the right things, if I believe the right things, that will lead right. to the right action. Right. And of, again, knowledge is really important. Yes. Belie- like good theology is deeply important. Amen. But simply believing the right things does not change our behavior, right? I mean, I think right. about... You think about how we have consistently said education is the answer, and yet Mm. we continue to grow and progress in education, and yet we continue to see our values and our, frankly, our ethics and morality decline. And there's there's a gap here that that can't be filled with more knowledge. Better teaching, right? You, right, and, yep. and so that. So I think that's that's a part of it for sure. And I think the better teaching piece is, is something that I feel a lot of gravity around because I'm a teacher. So I, I right, me too. I yeah. love teaching. Yep. I think it's important. It's valuable. Mm-hmm. I also feel like I meet countless people who have left the church because like they'll say things like I sat under great teaching for mm-hmm. a long time and nothing really actually changed. Yeah. So I assumed either the church was a fraud or this Jesus thing wasn't real. So I just bailed. Yeah. Have you experienced some of that where people are like, hey, nothing, I didn't see any formation happen, so yeah. I went somewhere else or I figured something else out or yep. fill, in, fill in their own blank? Yeah, or you, you, I've experienced pastors, people who are mm. leaders in churches who say, this teaching thing isn't changing us, so we're actually not going to have any teaching in our churches. Oh, interesting. And you go, whoa, 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 whoa <laughs> wait, wait, wait a second, I love it. There's a professor in my, when I was in grad school said, you know, for 2,000 years, right. The church has included teaching. Yes. We might not want to just throw that out, right? Like we right. might want to – there's something valuable here. If if our teaching isn't forming us, isn't resulting mm. in a different kind of – if it's not producing fruit. Right. Let's use Jesus' words for a yes. minute, right? right? Right. If it's not producing fruit, then maybe it's not the teaching, but maybe there's something in the way yeah. we're doing it. That's so good. I was just listening to John Mark Comer, and oh, they, yeah. they pretty much summarize it by be with Jesus, mm-hmm. become like Jesus, yep. do what Jesus did. Yeah. And I remember seeing that thinking, first off, why did I think of that? <laughs> but secondly, though, it was like the do what Jesus did part mm-hmm. was something that, and again, I, I am so grateful for the church I grew up in, but I yeah. like never really heard much about that yeah. piece. Yep. And maybe I did, and I just wasn't paying attention, and I didn't have ears yeah. to hear, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But that, I feel like that's where... A lot of people in our churches are like, when do we start doing the stuff? Mm-hmm. When do mm-hmm. I actually start to see my heart not hate my enemy so much? When do yeah. I start to like see the cracks in unforgiveness mm-hmm. start to burst forth like some healing and truth? And it feels like yeah. you guys are creating this laboratory where people are able to not just dip a toe in the waters, but yeah. like what's the phrase? The unforced rhythms of grace, yeah. right? Just right. get in yep. the water. Get in the water and learn to swim. Yeah. And I think that's such a beautiful invitation. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, and we'll, you're going to stick around the entire hour. So I got so many more questions about the practice, about your role. 
also as a spiritual director. That's yeah. a phrase that a lot of people maybe yeah. aren't familiar with. Sure. Yeah. And uh, I think we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. That's all coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is gallivanting somewhere. But you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash Good or wherever it is you get your podcast. If you're a podcaster, we really do appreciate likes, subscribes, reviews, if that's how that works. I'm really not a good <laughs> podcast person at all. I think you can share them, but I don't know how to even coach you to do that. So either way, we're grateful for you. But in Brian's absence, though, we've had just a whole slew of amazing guests. Jason, you are no exception. And I'm so grateful, <laughs> honestly, for you taking the time to be here with yeah. us, share your wisdom in your heart. You're somebody, could I just like fanboy out a little bit i've admired oh, you from a distance for so long and you actually helped write on some this th- isn't creepy at all it's, by yeah, the way. <laughs> and i'm just staring at him in the corner you guys can't see but i have like a trench coat oh. on and a fedora uh that part's true but you you helped write even for some of the beauty and the common stuff mm-hmm. that we were doing yeah. and i think you at the practice to me just makes so much sense like i'm grateful oh, thank you. that we're in the same kind of geographic space that i get to learn even from a distance mm-hmm. from you and uh, I'd love to learn more about, because this is something that I've been really wrestling with currently, h- how actually do people change? Like mm-hmm. I was listening to, I think it was a Jim Collins podcast or something, and it was sort of like, what is what is the thing that gets you up in the morning? And I think that's mm-hmm. one of those questions that I'm like, I think that might be it. Yeah. How do people change? And the practice seems to be asking, I think, some of the best questions. And you had been even before the practice. Sure. What, what would you say to that question, particularly when it comes to like spiritual formation or Christo formation, like how do we actually become more like Jesus and not just continue to have like an intellectual ascent and then attend an event every Sunday? Like what does that look like practically, do you think? Yeah, for me, it it centers on the presence of Jesus. Hmm. And it's moving away from the idea that our spiritual life revolves around an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning, right? uh, maybe Wednesday night, maybe in a small group. Mm-hmm. Or even in the you know fifteen twenty minutes of reading scripture and praying in the morning or the evening, right? That our whole lives mm. are sacred, right? We read all throughout scripture that God is always with us, right? Right? Psalm one thirty nine. If I go to the highest heights, to the deepest depths, even yes. there you're with, yes. even there your right hand guides me. Jesus promises in the very last conversation with his followers before he ascends into heaven, mm. I will be with you. Always, That's right. even to the end of the age, even to the end of the world. Right. Uh, Paul says in Acts 17, in God we live and move and have our being. Have I kind of sold it enough, yeah. right? Like <laughs> scripture teaches us that we are always in God's presence. Mm. And yet we have this tendency to live as if there are sacred moments. Yeah. And then there are secular moments. Right. And I mean, I even think of, I did youth ministry for three years right out of my undergrad. And I remember teaching the students that uh, they needed a daily quiet time to recharge their batteries. Hmm. And I even used the language at one point, I think of, it's like reaching, dipping your, cupping and cupping your hands and reaching into a bucket of water Hmm. and carry and like Jesus is the water. And I'm going to carry as much of Jesus with me into my everyday life. But of course he's, he's (laughs) seeping out between my fingers. Jesus, where are you going? So I have to return back regularly. Right. But the idea, like when you carry that out to its conclusion, it's I'm somehow bringing God into my everyday life, but it's ignoring the fact that scripture teaches us God is already there. Yes. 
And so how do we live as if we are actually with God in our everyday lives? That's right. Right, that, that passage from uh, Matthew 11 in the, the message paraphrase, right, of the unforced rhythms of grace, right. grace passage, right? Keep company with me. Walk mm. with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it, Jesus says. That's so good. Like, and, that's, and that's not... That's not walk with me on Sunday morning. Right, right. Right? That's walk with me in your life. Mm. And so if we begin to realize that God is with us mm. every single moment of the day, if we begin to actually live as if that's true, right. every single moment becomes an opportunity for formation. Right. Every single moment mm. is pregnant with an opportunity for us to be formed more and more in Christ's likeness. That's good. And and that's where the spiritual practices come in because the spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines, the spiritual practices help us to become more and more aware of God's presence, hmm. both in the moment and in our everyday life. That's right. And so when we grow in God, in awareness of God's presence, that's when God is working and forming us. I mean, the, the, the mm. short answer, I was, I was going to just make a joke when you said, how, you know, how are we formed? I was just going to say, Jesus, next question. I mean, because really that's, I mean, that's it. Right, right. right. Like we're formed, like God, we are formed by God. We don't do it ourselves. It's that's not right. behavior management. Right. And, and that's the role of the disciplines, the, mm. the practices. The practices help us to live more fully in God's presence. And I think when we understand the spiritual practices that way, that actually opens them up, right? Right. I've found when I talk about spiritual practices, people think I'm talking about fasting yes. and, uh, you know, 24-hour prayer. And, <laughs> right. and they have to say it in that voice, of course. But <laughs> right, very pious, right, right. Very... <laughs> I'm contemplative, right? We, like, we, we think of these big, lofty practices, mm. and, and we we begin to communicate that this is just for more advanced right. people, right? More, These are the varsity Christians. Yeah, <laughs> yes, the varsity Christians, exactly. And yes, that's for those folks. But the reality is, hmm. if a spiritual practice is anything that makes us more aware of God's presence, both in the moment and in our everyday life, then suddenly that opens wide the defin- the what actually is a that's spiritual right. practice. That's so right. I... I have a practice, a spiritual practice that I like to call stargazing. Huh? Yeah, I'm, I'm about, listening. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds pagan. Go for it. <laughs> I, I cannot look at a night sky full of stars mm. without being moved to a place of awe yes. and wonder. I can't look at the night sky and go and not think this universe is incredible and yes. it's huge right and i am tiny i mean yes. there's notes of psalm 8 in this right like yes. i'm so tiny and mm. insignificant in the context of this great cosmos and yet god's thoughts about me are more numerous than the grains of sand on so the earth good. wow yeah so simply stargazing mm-hmm reminds me of God's presence, connects me with the presence of God. Mm. It's a spiritual practice that's so good. for me. See, and that's actually a lot of the dream behind even the name of the show. The, the common piece is actually really a common theme yeah. in my life in pursuit that we have these mountaintop moments. And those, of course, are just as fine, of right? Yeah. The mountaintop or the great, any of the, mm-hmm. I'm not anti-conference, I'm not any yeah. of those things, but most of us live 99.9% of our lives in these common spaces. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like what you're talking about is Let's elevate all of that 
yeah. to see as sacred, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's not just the mountaintops that are right, sacred, but right. the valleys it's, are exactly, sacred too, exactly. right? I know you had a conversation with Jenna and spent some time talking about lament. Yes. We learn more, we grow in Christlikeness more in the difficult times right. than we do in the successes and the joys. And Agreed. I'm, I mean, I'm the kind of personality that absolutely loves the highs and the successes and absolutely does everything I can to avoid <laughs> the valleys. So are you a seven? Are you I a am seven? a seven. You yeah. Are. I, didn't, I didn't know if people were familiar with the Enneagrams. I didn't want to like jump in. I'm a seven. Um, yes. People are like he's breaking his attractiveness. I don't understand. Yes. I'm a seven. Well, that's, you know, um, <laughs> no, but I, but I, I realize over the course yeah. of my life that in those darkest moments, mm. When I lean into God, like those are some of the most formational. Like, if if I'm not leaning into God in the midst of pain and brokenness, yeah. how can I really know that God loves me? Wow, right? Yeah, like those are the places. Like when you are broken and at the end of yourself, mm. and God meets you even there. Yep, that's when you know. Like that's when you begin to go. Holy cow. Yeah. Like God's love isn't just this theoretical knowledge, but it is actually true. And I know it. Wow. Like not know it in my head, but right. I know it in my being. Yes. Okay. That's yeah. the perfect tease then, because I want to ask you more about that coming up next. How yep. do we move from this intellectual ascent, which again, we're both saying mm-hmm. is good. Yep. yep. How do we move then from this deeply experiential embodiment yeah. of what is actually true about us in the universe and, you know, small questions yeah. like that. <laughs> That's all coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. And my ears are bleeding now. How are your ears, ears okay? I, I, what? That's good. <laughs> That music is coming in so hot. Hopefully that's okay for the rest of you listening. You didn't have to just rip your headphones out. Either way, uh, my name is Ian Simpkins, normally joined by Brian Fromm, but I think he's camping or he's on the lamb or something. I can't... He's hunting unicorns, I think. Is that what it is? Yeah. Oh, so he yeah. told you, but he didn't tell me. That makes that makes a lot of sense. That other voice you're hearing, though, is my friend Jason Pfeffer, who leads uh, the practice, which means at Willow Creek. Uh, he also is a spiritual director, a writer, a pastor, a disciple maker, an all-around good guy. Good beard grower, by the way. Mm. You have a, I don't think you had a beard last time I saw you. Maybe not. It's That's not very possible. I'm, it's not quite on as on point as your. No, beard you're game. being modest. I mean, my goodness, yours uh, comes in like a like a full-grown man, and mine comes in like a prepubescent child. Yours, I mean. I don't even know. Everyone needs to take my word for it. Either way, so what we had just been talking about beautifully, by the way, is this idea. <laughs> That God desires, I think, to form us in all aspects of life, not just for an hour on Sunday mornings and not just for sort of the varsity elite either. Yeah, this is yeah. this is part of the call of what it means to become like Jesus. And you sort of landed with this idea of moving from just a neurological intellectual ascent to mm-hmm. like full life transformation. I remember hearing Father Richard War say um, – God's presence isn't what's lacking. What's lacking is our awareness. Yeah. So often we just go about our lives, even with the best of intentions, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with no real sense that God is actually in the work of like forming us right here and now. Yeah. How do you help people move from a purely like knowledge-based religion mm-hmm. to something deeper than that? Yeah, I mean, I would start with saying I I mean I don't mean this to be in a, to, to respond in a challenging sort of way, but like <laughs> it I mean, we don't move anybody, hmm. right? I mean, it's it's the Holy Spirit. I right. think it's 
is helping people to notice when God is inviting them into those deeper spaces, right? Like when, like, how do we know that God is moving us away from intellectual ascent, which generally is early stages of Mm. faith, right? I mean, early stages, we begin with, yes, this is the stuff that I'm supposed to do. This is, I'm trusting you because I don't know, I'm brand new to this thing. So Mm. you're telling me that this is the way, this is how I should interpret this passage. Uh, This is what's true of the Christian life. Mm. And, And again, all of that's wonderful and good, in early stages of faith. Right. But how do we move beyond that? Mm. When we begin to notice that God is inviting us into those deeper spaces. And I think you know, the easy answer, it's not easy, but the, the simple response to that is, I mean, it's often pain. Mm. Like that journey from our head into a whole life experience, that inward journey yes. often begins with pain. Wow. Um, but I think even even in the absence of that, one of the things I would say is, it's helping people to notice their emotions. Mm. We, for some reason, and I, I don't know why, but for some reason in the church we have a maybe a skepticism of our emotions yeah. or a distrust of our emotions. I think that's and, right. Yeah, and and when we don't acknowledge our emotions, we're really just. I, I heard it on the radio over here, like mm. someone was talking about. Uh, um, Clayton Kershaw's explosion yeah, yesterday, right? right? And right. how uh, hopefully, you know, eventually he'll get past it and he'll, you know, he'll stuff that memory down deep somewhere and, you know, That's hopefully never to come out again. And wow. you just go, well, I mean, the reality is he <laughs> yes. will stuff it down and it will come out. It will, yes. It will come out. And, and if we can help people to recognize their emotions, to notice them. Right. And to bring them into the presence of God. And sometimes those emotions are positive. I don't want to make the mistake of sounding it's all negative, right? right? right. I mean, sometimes it is negative. Like, that made me angry. That made me sad. That Mm. hurt. Mm. That disappointed me. Those are important to bring into God's presence, right? right? That's grieving. Yes, right. right. Grieving is, my spiritual director once said, uh, grieving is simply allowing ourselves to feel the emotions that arise when they do mm. in the presence of God and others. That's so good. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. And and so there's there's the grieving side. And then the other side, sometimes things bring us great joy. Like I mentioned, you know, looking at the stars. Right. This, this summer we were in Colorado and uh, one night I was like, you know what? Let's, let's not put the kids to bed. Like let's keep them up. <laughs> when the sun goes down, Let's drive up to the pass. Hmm. Let's get up to 14,000 feet, or it's probably 12,000 feet, I think, the pass, right? <laughs> I was going to call you on that. By yeah, thanks. Yeah, so thanks for correcting yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so we, let's get up there, and, and let's just look at the stars. Yeah. And watching my nine-year-old son go, oh, like, because he's never right. seen stars right. like this before. And, I mean, the Milky Way is just so apparent, and we're mm. just watching. It was near the Perseids meteor shower, so we're just watching, shooting stars wow. left and right and we're just sitting there in awe and noticing the joy that's yeah. arising in that moment and allowing myself to feel that joy in the presence of God. Wow. And that's where like that turns into worship. Yeah, right. right. That turns into God, this is amazing. Right. I can't like I can't imagine the the creativity and the incredible the fact that you want to share this with us oh, is wow. amazing. And and to watch our son mm. suddenly go, 
I love nature. Yeah. I, this he goes. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. He and said that. He did. And, and I went. I hope not. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> I hope we're gonna do this again sometime. Yes. Yes. Wow. And 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 again, that leads to worship. Yeah. And so when we begin to notice our emotions and we begin to bring those into the presence of God, that begins to open us up to our whole selves. Right. It begins to take us beyond the head. And certainly it's not just, right? I mean, the the uh, the the pretty ancient construct of head, heart, and gut, or head, heart, right. and body, right? right. Um, we begin to notice the mm. whole our whole bodies, our whole selves. Yes. And, it, and it begins to lead us to a place of unity and integration and that's really good. I actually had a very similar experience, not quite as dramatic, but my my oldest well, is only two, and we were out somewhere. We ended up staying accidentally too late, so it had gotten dark. Yeah. And when I got him out of the van, he made the same, <gasps> and looked up at the sky, and I was like, "What is wrong with my son right now?" And it dawned on me he's never seen the night sky. Yeah. Because he always he'd he's never seen bad. it, yeah. and it was this instantaneous awe. And one, I'll start crying if I start if I talk about it too much. Yeah. But like experiencing wonder and awe through the eyes of my kids. Oh. They, they're not having to be coached into it. It's right, just this right. visceral present life. Yes. Wow, look at this thing. They haven't learned to shut it off right, yet. Right, exactly. Yes. Exactly, which is part of what, unfortunately, a lot of adulthood is. It's like beat mm-hmm. wonder and joy and awe out of us because that's – and then it sort of masquerades as wisdom mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah. Like yep. in the church, I often feel like what we call wisdom is actually more like cowardice mm-hmm. or, or callousness. Interesting. I'm just trying to be wise. Say more about that. I don't think I should. I think <laughs> I might get in trouble if I keep leaning into that. But what I love about the practice, though, is it's giving voice to these things, and clearly people are resonating with them. Mm-hmm. And you have people all the time who come from very different disciplines, very yeah. different backgrounds, mm-hmm. and I imagine are saying, I've never experienced this before. Yeah. And it's resonating with people. Yeah. And I, man, I, I, I mean, thankfully, you're going to stick around for a whole lot longer. But yeah. could you say, like, in 30 seconds or less, though, what is it about? even just creating those spaces for wonder and awe that you think is so transformative? Why is it resonating so deeply right now, do you think? Well, I think one of the reasons why what we do in the practice, I think, is resonating people is they, they don't have space for it. Mm. In their like anywhere else in their life, yeah, right. Yeah, and there's something. there's also something to uh, what we're doing that's so different from what you're used to. Right. There's, there's something about... Um, there's something about experiencing something different or maybe mm-hmm. even the same but from a different angle. Oh, that's good. That creates kind of a disequilibrium. Yeah. And there is something – I mean frankly, this is this is why I think pain is so valuable in the spiritual journey. That disequilibrium – there's something about disequilibrium that opens us up to the presence of God. That's good. Yeah. So that maybe is almost something that we could even learn to pursue better. I think mm-hmm. we're often pursuing quite the opposite. Yeah. Security yep. and stability. Yep. And part of what you're saying is disequilibrium. That's sort of the laboratory where we actually are formed, actually. Yeah. And I would say, I would say, pers- um, probably not pursue it. Cause, okay. Because, right, I mean, um, I don't know that we want to pursue. Well, if we're talking about pain. Oh, okay. That's we don't want to pursue pain. Right. right. I mean, right. the reality is life, life will bring pain. That's right. We don't have to pursue That's it. That's a great point. Right? But what do we it, do but, in it, though? Yeah. But it's to not avoid disequilibrium, to not, um, how about this, to not avoid things that are uncomfortable. That's really good. And to not avoid things that, we, that are new. Yes. To us. Yes. And to be discerning mm-hmm. in it, right? To em- engage something that's new in a discerning way. Right. Uh, is this right? Yes. I don't know. Right. But, but, to, but to approach it with curiosity. That's good. Rather than 
immediate skepticism and yes. raising up our walls. That's great. All right, I'm going to ask you about that coming up next then. Curiosity and the openness to the possibility that God wants to do something new in our lives. That's what I'm going to ask you. Coming up next with Jason Pfeffer here on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. I mean, I don't mean to out him, but like this music came on and Jason winked right at me. It was... <laughs> I, I wish I could say it was uncomfortable, but it wasn't. It felt comforting and warm, and I feel at home. Thanks for that. This was maybe you're the first guest to ever wink at me. Actually, that you might own that very prestigious title. <laughs> A little look behind the curtain, folks. None of that's true. None of that actually happened. Uh, well, it's my word against yours, and I guess you are a spiritual director, though. I just have pastor, so you you win in that battle. All right. So before I ask my question. I imagine at this point in the show, people are like, where can I learn more about what you do and what you're doing? Just anywhere people can go, websites, emails, home addresses, phone numbers, any of that, feel free to give that. Yeah, my uh, social security number is three. (laughs) No, Um, my, so we mentioned my website earlier, beingdisciples.com. I've got some writings there, some resources to help practice. Great resources, by the way. They really are. Thank you. I appreciate that. And then uh, the practice tribe, it's, Practice Tribe, not the practice. So uh, okay. Practicetribe.com uh, is the practices website, and you can find our schedule there. We meet Sunday nights at 6 p.m. I'd love anybody to show up. I mean, it's we have folks from – we have people who don't attend Willow who come to really? practice. They attend another church on Sunday morning and then love come to the that. practice Sunday nights. So everybody's welcome. Yeah. And it's just to help it's in the it's in the chapel, right? Yep. So yes. it's Sunday nights at what time? Six PM. In the chapel at Willow Creek. In the chapel. We have child care available. It's you not do. children's church. Yeah. It's not children's church, but oh, it is it's nice. child care. Yep. That's fantastic. Yep. So up to fifth grade. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Okay, so this is what we were talking about a little earlier, and I want to pick your brain about it. Yeah. This idea of the spiritual act of curiosity. Mm-hmm. I feel like so often curiosity in some circles is reserved for children. Mm-hmm. We expect kids to be curious. And we expect adults to be certain, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I think of Peter and sin of certainty. That like mm-hmm. changed my life. What is it about curiosity that in your mind is so necessary and so valuable? And how do we regain some of that curiosity in a life wow. that is just so crammed full of stuff? Yeah. I mean, I, to me, the value of curiosity is understanding that we don't have it all figured out. Right. Right. I mean, it's, it's realizing that I don't actually have all the answers mm. and it, it's, being okay hmm. with that. You know, I think some people when they when they come across a moment where they realize they don't have all the answers, yeah. like it leads to a breakdown. Right? Because oh, right. we're we're all of a sudden I've lived with this idea that I have to have all the answers and I thought I did and hmm. now I don't and what in the world like your your world right. crumbles at that point. That's so I think point. for us to begin with a sense of it's okay yeah. to not have all the answers. Right? Like doubt mm-hmm. doubt is actually okay. Yes. Like you don't have to be certain about everything. That's I mean, right. Look, just sometime read the Gospels and see how many yes. times the Jesus looks at the disciples and he's like, seriously? <laughs> what are you doing? Like man? what? I mean, what? Come on. I mean, how long have we been together now? Right. What, what have you seen me do? I mean, what? Right. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Right. I mean, even, even Thomas, right? Yep. Poor guy. Doubting Thomas. Man, he get forever associated forever labeled, with doubt, right? Yeah. Right. But I mean, what Jesus didn't chastise him for mm-hmm. his doubt. That's good. I mean, put your hand on my side. Put your hand, your fingers in my wounds. Right, right. So I think that's okay. Right. But being curious leads us to being open. Mm. 
And I think realizing, I think the other part of this is when we think we have it all figured out, how big is our God if we think God is, we can figure God out. Right, right. right? And so being open, mm. being curious, is saying, well, what if, what if God is actually bigger than I think? What a novel idea. Yeah. And I love, I, and I can't remember who said it. I don't know if it was C.S. Lewis or Chesterton or who, but um, they said that God is the great iconoclast, mm-hmm. right? That we, we, because we are limited humans, we create an image of God as best we can. Right. And if we are serious about following God, if we're serious about living in his presence, then eventually mm-hmm. God is going to come by and break that image. Right. And we're going to go, whoa, God is so much bigger. <laughs> yes, right. And so we build a new image <laughs> that's bigger. <laughs> but, it's, but it's okay. Like, like we have to, right? Yes, like right. This, this, is, this is where we are as limited humans. That's right. And so, I mean, I would ask, where might your image of God be too small? Oof, that's a good question. Like where might God in this season of your life, like where might God be inviting you yes. to be open and curious about a bigger picture of God? That's a great question. I think uh, maybe it's Frederick Buechner. He said, doubt is like the ants in the pants of faith. I remember reading that like as a 19-year-old being like, that's <laughs> Sounds the best like definition Buechner. of it. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But I later, I think it was Keller who said, doubt is like antibodies. Yeah. Like we, it's actually like a necessary part of this whole journey. Yeah. And you're also a leader though. I'm wondering, is there an added element of struggle in your mind that like, well, I, all adults love to feel certain, mm-hmm. but leaders in particular feel like I need to be certain mm-hmm. on behalf of my community. Do you feel an extra weight to like pursue curiosity or how do you, how do you fight against that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, see, I, I don't think anyone would ever accuse me of thinking too highly of myself. Mm. Um, and I, and I don't say that, that, that really, that sounded prideful. <laughs> How about I that? So. I, no, no. Okay. I, I mean, my, my greater struggle is, is to like, I struggle with believing that I'm not worthy, that I'm, that I am Got not it. worth it, right. that I don't have value. So, right. um, so because of that, Certainly, sometimes it leads me to project as if I've got it all figured got it, out. Got it, yeah. Um, but as I've as I've grown and as I've leaned more and more into God in mm. that space, it's led me to to be way more open to the input of others. Yes, right. And and so I don't feel like I have it all figured out. And even and frankly, even stepping into this role, you know, Aaron Nequist started the practice, right. And you know, I come in, I think, two years into the practice. I've mm. been a part of the community, but I come in to lead it. And I'm, I'm partnering with Aaron for a year before he transitioned off and ultimately mm-hmm. moved to New York. But um, to come into this thing and to feel like I'm handed this beautiful thing right. that I had nothing to do with building. Right. And it, le- and, it, and, and it just leaves me going, like, I love this as much as you guys do because this has been life to me. Right. And so it leads me to this place of like, I didn't create this. Mm. I don't have this pride around it. Mm. Um, and I, sometimes I feel like I'm worried that people are going to think that I'm overly prideful because I talk about how great it is and how much I love it. <laughs> but it's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like I'm talking about it because I've experienced, I've experienced it like you, yes, like, right. like I, I feel more connected to the people in our community than I do to Aaron in, wow. in relationship to the practice because of, because I've experienced it like That's that. So, good. so, 
Um, so I don't know if that was a great answer to your it's question great, or if I answered it at all, answer. really. No, you did. And I just want to say out loud, too, I think you're the perfect guy for it. Oh, thanks, I man. really, I really mean that. that. And the oh, practice thanks. has meant a lot to me, and I'm just so grateful for you and your wisdom. I want to kind of put you on the spot yeah. in like the 30 seconds we have left. Yeah, 18 seconds. Would you? Well, we can, we can fudge that a little <laughs> bit. I've never asked a guest to do this. I feel compelled to oh, ask boy. you, though. Would yeah. you end the show with giving some sort of benediction, oh, some wow. sort of hope to yeah. the person listening who's feeling... Encourage, yeah. discourage, somewhere in between. Just, just send us out with a blessing. Yeah. Um, so if you're not driving, <laughs> would you hold your hands out okay. to receive a blessing? Yeah. If you're driving, keep your hands on the wheel. Smart. Right? And it's, it's, it's good. Um, don't ask Jesus to take the wheel. Cause that, <laughs> you know, okay. Um, yeah. If you would hold your hands out and, and maybe, even, maybe even look up hmm. and raise your, your face to God and may you walk with Jesus in your everyday life. May you know the depth of God's loving presence with you Mm. as you experience the joys and the trials of life. And may you seek to live more and more fully in communion with God so that you might be formed by Jesus to be like Jesus. Amen. Amen. Jason Pfeffer, thank you so much, man, for being on the show. Thanks for having me. What a a joy. Please come back sometime. I will. I love that, man. That's been Jason Pfeffer here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.